Who do you want to be as a leader? What are the blind spots you're missing? If you had a magic wand and you could change anything about your workplace, what would you do with it? These are the kinds of questions we explore on Inspirational Leadership. I'm your host, Kristen Harcourt. I'm a keynote speaker, emotional intelligence coach, and leadership trainer who partners with executives and emerging leaders who want to achieve extraordinary results for themselves and their organizations. You're in the right place if you're ready to cultivate the self-awareness to be the leader you were born to be. Let's go on this journey together. Welcome to Inspirational Leadership. I'm your host, Kristen Harcourt, and we have another fabulous, fabulous guest. Today, we're going to be talking with Kim Campbell, who is a retired Air Force colonel who served in the Air Force for over 24 years as a fighter pilot and senior military leader. She has flown 1,800 hours in the A-10 Warthog, including more than 100 combat missions protecting troops on the ground in both Iraq and Afghanistan. In 2003, Kim was awarded the Distinguished Flying Cross for heroism after successfully recovering her battle-damaged airplane after an intense close air support mission in Baghdad. As a senior military leader, Kim has led hundreds of airmen both at home and abroad in deployed locations and enabled them to succeed in their missions. She has experienced leading complex organizations and driving cultural change. Kim knows what it takes to be successful, to be a successful leader, to inspire and empower high performance teams to achieve success. Kim is passionate about leadership and feels strongly that leaders earn trust by leading with courage and connecting with their team. Welcome to the show, Kim. Thank you so much for having me. I have to say, I want to say Casey as well. And we're going to talk about what Casey stands for, but I'll I'll say Kim, but I want to call you Casey as well. Um, (laughs) That works. Do you you have a preference between being called Kim or Casey? No, I've been called both for for a a long time throughout my life. So I respond to either. (laughs) Okay, we'll see where we go. Um, Before we get into the interview, for anyone who's going to be watching on video on YouTube, I just want to show everyone the book that will be launching in a month. It's called Flying in the Face of Fear, A Fighter Pilot's Lessons of Leading with Courage. I really, really loved the book. I went through um, not only are the stories all very powerful, but I really felt Kim did an amazing job of offering insights after each chapter so that you can take a step back and really reflect on not only the stories and everything that was shared, and they're very rich, but how does this apply to you as both a leader? And we are all leaders. So everyone who's on this podcast knows that a leader is not just a leader by title. We all have an, an opportunity to lead every day in our lives. So some really good self-reflection for both yourself as a leader and as well as um, in your organization. So Kim, I always give people an opportunity at the beginning to tell us a little bit about your story and what got you to where you are now. I know there are so many milestones you could share to take us there, and I'm going to let you start wherever you'd like to start. uh, I'll start at the beginning. How's that? You know, I think um, when I look back at my life in terms of life-changing, life-defining moments, the one where I feel like my whole life changed and was really a turning point for me happened in 1986 when I was in fifth grade. And I know that goes back a long way. But for me, that's the first moment where I realized that, uh, you know, what I wanted to do and the path that I wanted to take. And it all started Uh, watching TV with my mom as we watched the space shuttle challenger launch. And, you know, for the first part of it, I was 
really excited. And then watching the tragedy kind of unfold before us, you know, it, I realized that in that moment, obviously a terrible tragedy, but I also realized the astronauts died doing something important, something they believed in. And, you know, I don't know that I grasped that quite that at, in fifth grade, but I was connected to it in a way that I didn't quite understand. And thankfully, after talking to my parents, I, you know, I just realized that this was something big and important. They wanted to do something that they would commit their lives to, that they, they were willing to give their lives for. And there's also this exhilaration of flight and freedom and fearlessness that goes with it. And so I decided that was kind of my turning point. I decided I wanted to go to the Air Force Academy and become a fighter pilot. And from that point on, my, my life changed. I mean, going from a, a kid who was kind of so, so interested in school to full on just committed to this goal. That's why I feel like so much changed for me at that point. And, you know, then ended up spending, as you said in the introduction, 24 years um, serving in the U.S. Air Force. And it's really interesting because it feels like that that little girl in grade five and I can I think we're similar in age because I also remember being in the classroom and watching it and it's it, there was a part of you that almost intuitively it's like your why showed up for you in that moment but you couldn't have yeah. necessarily articulated this is what's going on but there was that strong inner knowing. And, and it just sounds from there and you describe it beautifully in the book in terms of this commitment that starts to, to happen from there. And yet there's commitment, but Kim, like there's a lot of perseverance here too, right? Like over and over and over again, like even starting with getting into the Air Force, but then time after time, where do you think that comes from in terms of that inner persistence and drive? Yeah, I feel like every time, you know, things would be going well, and then I'd face a roadblock or you know, I thought I, I was doing everything that I could. And all of a sudden it was like, there was this word, no or rejection uh, along the way. And that was really hard. I am so thankful that I had mentors, coaches, parents who were just so supportive, who really encouraged me to keep going. Um, I, you know, I think you touched on it briefly, but getting, you know, I, my whole life was directed towards going to the Air Force Academy, because for me, that was the jumping off point to the next step of becoming a fighter pilot. And he, after applying to the Air Force Academy and working so hard and putting everything into it to hear the word no and get a rejection letter instead of that long awaited college acceptance letter was, you know, just sh shocking for one, because I felt like I had done everything I could, but also heartbreaking. I mean, it was just, I thought I would get in. I thought it would, you know, I had worked hard. I had done everything that they asked and it just, unfortunately, it wasn't enough. And I feel like at that point I could have just quit on my dream. And I had people around me that said, no, don't quit. Don't do it. This is what you've wanted. This is what you work for. Keep going. And so I think you know, that helped me in the moment when I'm young and facing rejection was to have a team of people around me that supported me. Um, but over time, I realized that every time I face those rejections, they also um, kind of inspired me to prove myself and work harder. Um, so it I used it a little bit as an inspiration and motivation to do well, because once I got to the Air Force Academy, after getting that initial rejection letter, I wanted to prove that I belonged. And so I, I used it to my advantage to, to show people that I could make it, that I belong there and that I would not just survive, but that I would excel. 
Yeah. And I, I, I hear that resilience with you in a couple of different ways. So one with that resilience with working through rejection, and I think everyone can struggle with that piece, right? Cause it feels like they're saying no to you personally, but actually there's a lot of different reasons around the no. Right. The other thing that I, um, I really saw with you sharing through your journey is there's also that resilience around continuing to work through when things are incredibly difficult. So I'm thinking as you were talking through your training, like I I hear the training and I just feel exhausted just reading about it. (laughs) And I can't even imagine, you know, some of the things. And so there again, a different resilience coming at it from a different angle, right? That so I hear some of you saying with that, yeah, I want to prove myself and I can do this. But then there's also like, what is that from the mindset piece? You know, what is that inner narrative when you are and, you know, for everyone listening on the show, I think sometimes people say, well, I'm not a, I'm not a, a fighter pilot. Like we all have these different moments in our life where these things can challenging moments come up. And it's like, we can have that voice that's empowering or that voice that's just like, okay, here we go. And so I'm curious for you, what is, what does that inner voice look like? Uh, sometimes they're competing, to be honest, right? There's still the the fear, the doubt, the uncertainty sometimes, but it's also a little bit of let the other voice through, you know, let the other voice be louder. Like, I know I can do this. Why do I know? Because I put in the work. I mean, that was the other thing. Facing rejection, facing failures, for me, I learned how to turn it and to put it in a way like, okay, I may have had that failure. I may have had that mistake, but now I'm going to work harder and I'm going to learn from it. Um, that didn't happen like <laughs> immediately, right? This is something that I've learned over time by facing more mistakes and failures along the way, but I've learned how to take it and learn from it. Sometimes it's easier said than done, right? Because sometimes we can wallow in it because it's just the easy place to be. Um, but I've learned that that is not healthy and it doesn't help you perform. And the best thing you can do is learn from it and then move on. But I realized that how to get that other voice louder so that it was the voice that said, step up and take action, keep going. Yeah. The way to do that was for me was through preparation, by putting in the work, by practicing through using some visualization techniques, yeah. and then kind of also thinking through those worst case scenarios so that if they happened, I would, it wasn't so shocking. I was just like, okay, I've got this. I've thought about this. Um, and all that preparation really helped me What it made me more confident in what I was doing, but it also gave me confidence so that that other voice was louder. The voice that said, you got this, keep going was louder. Yeah. I think that's so important. What you're sharing is because you're um, coming there with the preparation, right? Like you're putting in the hours you're doing, yes. It's not just something you've got this also when that voice is showing up, the other voice can say, actually, no, I have a track record that I can look back on to show my consistency and I'm taking the action and I'm doing the practicing and I'm doing the learning. Um, it was it, it, I, what I love too is it, as you were um, talking through a lot of the different stories too it, around you learning from others too right other people Absolutely. sharing their yes. stories and I think it's really important too because um, when you're talking about the stories that um, sometimes people aren't necessarily being present and fully listening and paying attention and hearing all of those stories because you're pulling and in your case it, it almost it was actually life and death in some ways right because you hearing some of those stories and you being able to come back and pull them pull in pull them when you needed to actually use them in these serious situations 
Um, but I think it also supports what you say a lot in this um, in this book, and and I think your philosophy around um, you can't do this alone. Like this is something that right. takes a community. Yes, I mean, I there's so many situations that I look back on in my life, whether it was flying missions in combat, taking care of my two kids when my husband was deployed, um, to leading teams. Right, I, I didn't do it alone. I had a support network. Over, over downtown Baghdad in combat, the support network is my wingman who's by my side. When my husband deployed and I'm raising two kids by myself for a year while my husband is gone, I, I'm reaching out for help. And I had to learn to ask for help because I wasn't very good at it. But I learned if I didn't ask for help, I wasn't doing any of it well. I mean, I wasn't a good mom. I wasn't a good leader. I, I needed help. And so I learned to ask for it. Um, and just by doing that, it made me a better person. It made me a better leader, it made me a better wife and mom, all of those things just by asking for help. Um, but that sometimes that's so hard to do. And, you know, I, what I realize is that if we can share our stories and we can share our experiences, right, then somebody else out there, if they can take one small piece so that in that moment when they need it, they've heard it, they've heard the stories, they've heard the experiences, They've also heard what you learned from it. And so now they don't have to go through the same thing. They can just kind of pull those lessons um, and take it. And, and ideally it helps them be more successful in whatever they're doing in life. Right. It almost feels like you're paying it forward, right? It's like you went through that experience and then you be able, you can help others. And I think the other thing you spoke to there that's really important is the vulnerability piece. Yeah. And my experience with leaders is a lot, many can struggle with vulnerability. I think there's a lot of great work and conversation. I think Brene Brown um, really creating a platform where more discussions around that. And, and to this day, I still have leaders who struggle with, well, that's being weak. I'm like, no, it's so, it shows so much strength. It's, it yes. shows so much strength. And yet I know where that conditioning is coming from. So I'm curious for you, I, I'd love to talk about the vulnerability piece from a couple of angles. First, from the angle where you just said, yeah, I had to build the muscle to ask for help. And then I would love to hear your thoughts around your experience and all of those years in the military. Um, what did you learn about vulnerability and why it's such an asset? I think part of this probably started being one of the only women um, in my unit at many times. Um, when I started pilot training, I was um, the only woman going into my fighter squadron. And then I was one of roughly 35 women out of 3,500 female fighter pilots. Uh, so one of 35 female fighter pilots out of 3,500 total fighter pilots in the Air Force. And I put so much pressure on myself. I mean, this was pressure that I put on myself that nobody else did. And so I, I thought that I had to be kind of this tough, I don't know, fighter pilot exterior, right? That, you know, I, I didn't want to be vulnerable. I didn't want to make mistakes. I didn't want to show any weakness. I, you know, there are all these things just to kind of put on that tough exterior, um, which I, you know, I lived that way for a long time. I, I, you know, just worked hard at being really credible and having a good attitude. And then when it came time to actually lead teams and small teams up to large teams, I realized that that doesn't actually work. <laughs> like people want to see you for who you are. And I had this experience. Um, you may remember this from the book, but I, this was my very first opportunity for command. And, you know, I had 
combat proven fighter pilot. Again, I'm trying to put on this tough exterior, you know, I'm, there are not many women commanders on the base. And so I really feel like I have these expectations and I'm putting a lot of pressure on myself. And then we have this very formal change of command ceremony that happens before you become the commander of a unit. And during the ceremony, I mean, this isn't a hangar. There's lots of people. There's people in formation. And it's just a, a big formal ceremony. And my three-year-old son was with my husband sitting in the front row. And I would say about 15 minutes into the ceremony, he just, he's so bored out of his mind. He looks up at me, stands up and decides to start walking towards the front of the stage. I'm terrified at what he's going to do. Like, I am just so worried about what my team is thinking of me, right? I have this idea of who I'm going to be as a commander. My son does not care about any of this because he decides that he's just going to walk himself up on the stage and sit right in my lap. And I have this moment of, you know, nervousness, anxiety, stress of like what everyone is thinking of me. And then I, I look down at my son and he's just, he's got the biggest smile on his face. He is just content to sit there in my lap. And I realize it's kind of this turning point of like, people need to see me as human too, right? I'm, I'm a mom, I'm a wife, I'm a fighter pilot, I'm a leader, I'm all these things. And I just need to be who I am. You know, I realize that showing this human side of leadership, I mean, it's this idea that we can actually be strong and we can be compassionate, right? We can be tough and we can be kind. We can be all of these things. But it took my three-year-old son to show me that. And even though like the next day, I'm still very worried about what my team is thinking, but it turns out this was the highlight of the ceremony, right? This was what everybody was talking about. It was like all of a sudden this, you know, they had this fighter pilot boss coming in who is also a mom, who also mm -hmm. like has her own challenges, right? Can't always control my three-year-olds. Um, usually uh, very frequently can I control <laughs> what they're doing, right? But, you know, it just made me human. It connected me with them in a way just by showing a little bit of that vulnerability, right? Just putting yourself out there before there's an environment of trust, right? Like I kind of had to show it before I right. would get it in return. Um, but it showed me the importance of being vulnerable, connecting with your team, showing that human side of leadership. Yeah, I I mean, I related completely when I was hearing that story because I could, the same thing, right? This trepidation and how's this all going to, um, turn out and everyone else can be like, I remember times where I also with the kid and what they're going to do and how's this all going to turn Especially out. Especially during so, COVID, right? right? When right. everybody's, you know, kids are coming in in the background. And exactly. It's, it's exactly. us. It was relatable. And, and I have to say, like, I think there's always the silver linings. And that was one of the silver linings with the pandemic. All of a sudden where people thought they had their work persona and their at home persona, all of a sudden they became blurred in a beautiful way, people would say like, oh, what's that art on the wall? And oh, tell tell me more about that. They, they, oh, your kid, I didn't even know you had kids. And all of these different things that it's almost like they felt like that's a secret life over there that I have to hide. And then that humanity and bringing that whole person, yes. they started to realize, oh my gosh, it's actually exhausting. Yeah. You have to be kind of performative, like performing like you're supposed to be this version. Um, and yet I also think, I'm curious your thoughts on this. I think there can also be some pressure on women for a variety of reasons that there's also this other persona that you're supposed to live up to when you're a leader. And I, and my experience has been exactly what you said, Kim, it's not others who end up actually having those expectations. It's the leader or the woman who's actually having those expectations on herself. Yeah. I mean, 
that's where the pressure came from. It was, yeah. it was, it was all pressure that I put on myself. I mean, even to the point that when I first uh, got pregnant, I was worried about telling the other pilots in my squadron because I was worried about what they would think. I felt like I was letting them down. I mean, yeah. how crazy is that? Like in this joyous yeah. moment of your life, I felt like I was letting my team down by being pregnant. And when I told them, they were so excited for me. I mean, these were my friends, these were my teammates and they were just, you know, they were so happy for me. Um, it was just, you know, it was just this, there's these little moments like this that have really changed my perception on being vulnerable, being a woman, showing that human side of leadership, right? That it is the pressure I put on myself a lot of the times and that, you know, really just what my team wanted was for me to be me. Like that's where I created connections. That's where I built trust when I just showed them who I was. And it was little things like taking the time to just get to know them on a human level. It was walking around and talking to people and letting them show me what they do, like share their expertise with me. I mean, I'm not an expert in many of the areas. And so let them yeah. teach me and little moments like that, I think just go a long way to creating that trust just by opening up a little bit you know, and a lot of times it is on the leader. You have to be trusting before the, your team is going to trust you. And that's really hard, oh, but yes. it's so worth it. I think that that can, that connection, that human bond is just, you know, why do we do it? Well, guess what happens when we are vulnerable, when we create this environment of trust, then people are more willing to give feedback. They're more willing to raise their hand and say, I see a problem. They're, you know, it's, it opens up um, and Brene Brown talks about this in her book, this environment for more creativity and innovation. Um, I've just seen it over time throughout my opportunities to lead and teams small and large, you know, just every time I did it, I saw the positive outcome mm -hmm. and what it created on, on the team. Mm -hmm. And I think what you're saying there too, like, cause ultimately it always comes down to trust and that you're also creating through doing that in that vulnerability, the psychological safety. And so yes. that people are speaking up and sharing and, um, and recognizing that it's not an either, or so all of the things that you're talking about with those human skills, as I talk a lot about that, when it comes to emotional intelligence, that doesn't mean that it means that you're because you're caring, there's not accountability. I think it's exactly the opposite. It's the two of them are working very much in tandem. And yes. through that trust, they almost don't want to disappoint because there is that built in accountability. And I think we don't want too far on one end of the spectrum or too far on the other either. It's the two of them working together around that accountability piece as well. Absolutely. I, I very much agree in terms of, you know, it's the we have an environment of trust. That also means that as a leader, I have to make the tough decisions. I have to hold people accountable. I have to make those difficult decisions. I mean, that is, that is all part of it as well. Um, and I think it's, it's just finding the balance, but I think when your team trusts you and they know that your, you know, your heart is in the right place, your why is in the right place, um, then it makes it easier to hold people accountable because I will tell you that that's like the hardest thing for me to do is I, I don't like the tough conversations. I don't like the accountability piece. It's not as fun, right? It's not as fun as those good things, but it is still very critical. And I think you lose trust if you don't hold people accountable. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. And you're almost creating a space where there's self-accountability that they are doing it for themselves. Like they're questioning themselves and asking, am I performing at my full capacity? Am I contributing to the team as much as I can? Where, where did I? And I love when you talk a lot about, even when there's these big, big moments where afterwards I was like debrief, like I would just want to like take 24 hours and just like, and then the next thing you're doing it again. And so that brings me to this because I think it is such a, so much learning for you and a, a milestone on your journey. Um, when you, you did go on a mission and there was a combat and it, it, it tell me, I don't even want to get into it. Cause you know, you can tell the story and what parts you want to share, but, um, tell us a little bit around what happens in, in that combat and, um, some of the learning, like after this happened, yeah. some of the, I'm sure very poignant learning that came from, from this experience. Yeah, when we talk life-defining moments, this was certainly one of them. Um, so this is back in 2003, uh, and as part of Operation Iraqi Freedom, um, my role, so I was an A-10 pilot, which means our primary job is to support our troops on the ground. That's our primary mission. So as our troops moved um, towards downtown Baghdad, they were taking a lot of fire. There was a lot of firefights. And so our role as A-10 pilots would be to just be overhead, be there for them, you know, ideally with the goal of saving friendly lives and getting them home to their families. And on this day, like really every day of our deployment, you know, our, our role is to support those troops. We do all the planning, we do all the preparation, and then we take off, we fly up to Baghdad, air refuel, um, and then we wait for a tasking. And that day, uh, we immediately got a call that our ground troops were taking fire. They needed immediate assistance. So we got there as fast as we could. Uh, and unfortunately, we couldn't actually see the ground below. There were just clouds covering Baghdad, which made it very difficult. Uh, we In the A-10, we have to be able to get below the weather, weather to identify friendly troops, enemy troops. And so my flight lead just said, all right, I'm going to find a hole in the clouds and then I'll go through. So he disappeared down below the weather and then told me, hey, Casey, it's your turn. So I popped down below the weather. And I remember just as soon as I got down below the weather, I could instantly see this firefight. I mean, there were smoke and tracers and very surreal um, because it's, you talk about this, you prepare for it, you, you breathe for it, and then you see it. And it's just, it's that second of, this is eye-opening. This is, this is everything we plan for and train for, and, and you don't want to make a mistake. And, you know, these are seconds that I'm talking about here. And then, and then it's go time. And, and um, my flight lead rolled in pretty quickly and we decided we just do a couple passes on the enemy location. About the same time, I start to see these puffs of gray and white smoke and bright flashes in the air that are now right next to my cockpit. So we realized that there's, you know, there's a firefight happening across the river, but the enemy is also shooting up at us. Uh, and so I roll in on my last rocket pass. Um, and as I pull off hat off the pass, I'm just trying to get away from the ground, away from the threat. And I just hear this Large, large explosion at the back of the airplane. And I, there's no doubt in my mind, my airplane is hit. It dumps over nose low. I remember I could see Baghdad just getting closer. I pulled back on the control stick in the airplane and absolutely nothing happened. And still plunging to the ground. I remember looking at my ejection handles thinking, you know, not yet, right? This is the last thing I want to do is eject into the hands of the enemy. And so I just, no, it's that moment of I've got to figure out what's going on and take action. Um, and remember looking at everything, there's lights flashing, lots of things going on. I realized that I looked down at my 
caution panel, which is everything displayed in our systems. And I have zero hydraulics, which is not good because that is how an airplane is controlled. And thinking that, okay, I have two choices. I can eject or I can try to get our backup emergency system working. And I didn't want to eject. And so I flipped that switch and thankfully the airplane started to climb up and away from Baghdad. And that was just this moment of relief and a realization that I might actually make it out of there alive. But that was the first chance where I actually thought that I was going to make it out of there. Yeah, it was a lot. (laughs) Well, and I remember even as I'm reading it, all of these things that you don't even think about, like as a woman, it can be, there's other things that can happen if you eject, right? Because of your size. And so everyone's thinking like, never mind even the, the fact that there's enemies down there and it could be unsafe to eject there. Even ejecting in safe, a safe area could be not safe for you because of different types of injuries that could show up. And then even when you're flying back for that, for that, um, hour, it's not like you're just, oh, I'm just flying a plane. It's fun. Like it's that part was intense. And even just thinking about, are you going to be able to land? Like there's, there's a lot here. Yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, the, the first step was getting myself recovering the airplane and then just getting out of Baghdad. But then I had an hour to kind of fly the airplane, figure out what's going on. What am I going to do? You know, it's, it's this potential that you're going to make a decision. That's going to be the difference between life and death. And I mean, that obviously weighs heavy um, to try to make that choice. And, you know, my I had a flight lead with me. He could have easily told me what to do. Instead, he said, Casey, you're flying a single seat fighter and the decision is yours, which was really empowering. But it was also slightly terrifying. You know, now the decision's on me. It's my call. And if I'm honest, I'm, I was really nervous to make the choice. You know, do I land? Do I eject? So much going on in my mind. Um for that hour. And, uh, you know, it was, I get, what was I going to do? And for me, it came down to preparation and training and thinking through all the contingencies. Uh, it came down to really, honestly, a gut call based on a lot of thought and a lot of walking through different emergency procedures, but I really had confidence in my training and preparation. And I, I felt confident after flying the airplane for an hour that I could land it, uh, which is what I decided to do. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, as you, like when you slow it down, it's all of these moments and choices that are being made very quickly. And there's all of the experience conversations that you've had till that time that are all being applied in that moment to make that decision. Yeah. I mean, it's under pressure, under stress, having to make a difficult decision. I mean, this happens in everyday life as well. And, you know, how do we put ourselves in a position where we feel comfortable making the decision, where we have confidence in making the decision? It comes down to the preparation, the practice, and all the the planning for contingencies, everything that you've done to make you successful in that moment when it matters the most. And then I think it comes down to there's some self-trust that has to happen in that moment as well, because you're, and I think that's a big part of leadership that's happening all the time too, is uh, taking in that moment, I was going to say taking a step back in that moment, you don't have a lot of taking a step back, but in your day to day, taking a step back and asking yourself what feels most right for me, um, making sure I'm honoring my values, how I want to show up as a leader, who I want to be, what feels like the most accurate choice for me. And sometimes that comes down to the self-trust piece as well. Yes. I think, um, you know, Sometimes in those moments, and granted, I don't have a lot of time in this situation, but 
I try to take this to my everyday life too. In those moments where everything seems like it's going wrong, you're feeling overwhelmed, you know, it's moments you're feeling stressed or anxious. Sometimes it's just best to take that step back, like take a deep breath and realize that you, you do have what it takes. You've done the work, you know, you can, you can take that moment and, um, and then make a decision. Sometimes the best thing to do in that critical moment is actually nothing other than take a deep breath, but just, you know, take some time and think it through. Um, you don't want to stay there forever, but at some point, you know, you, you've thought through everything, you've done the training, you've put in the work, and then it's time to take action. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, these are things when I'm dealing, um, with my, teenage son, I remind myself, right? Those are those sometimes those moments of stress and overwhelm. And I, it's like, take a deep breath. What's going to work best in this scenario? And I, I just think there's so many parallels of like, you're just making the best decision you can. You're relying on all the training and preparation and work that you've done to get to this point. Take a deep breath, feel confident in the work you've done and then take action. And I think what you're saying there too, is I think the more people can recognize there's no perfect, right? If they're, if you're oh, trying right. to strive <laughs> for this perfection, right. And especially, I mean, parenting, there's so many parallels to parenting and leadership as well, right? If you're, you're trying to be the perfect parent and almost always get it right. I'm here to tell all of you that it's not possible. <laughs> that's not, that's not even, that shouldn't even be the goal, right? There, there are going to be times you're going to mess it up. But what I think also with what you're saying, when you're taking that deep breath and taking a step back, you are more likely to have access access to your most resourceful self and your creative thinking, then you're not able to do when you're in that reactive, very heightened emotions. You can't right. think or see things as clearly. Yeah. You haven't, you haven't had the time to think through it. And I, you know, I agree completely. It's just taking that time to know that you're making the best possible decision in the given situation. You might even rely on your wingman to provide that mutual support to help you see the bigger picture but you're making the best possible decision based on everything that you've done leading up to this moment. You're taking that deep breath. You're taking a moment, whatever length that is to really make sure that you've analyzed the situation, you've thought through it and now take the best possible action. And knowing that sometimes even when you do all of that, it does not turn out as planned. And that, you know, sometimes things don't go as planned things, you know, we make mistakes, we fail, we do, we make the wrong choice. And that happens um, you know, I can think many situations, not just in flying, but as a leader, as a parent, where I've, where I've done everything that I could, and still it wasn't the right thing. And and that's where we go to that debrief that you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Now it's time mm-hmm. to talk about, okay, well, we did this, it didn't quite work what we, you know, as we wanted. And we talk about the good things mm-hmm. so that we can repeat them. Mm-hmm. And then we talk about the mistakes and we drill down into the, what was the root cause? You know, why, why did that happen? It's like the three-year-old that continues to ask the question, why, why, why? Well, that helps us to drill down into the root cause of the mistake. And then we identify lessons learned and then we change the way we operate the next time. And yeah. it's just, you know, sometimes it's just, maybe that takes a little bit of the pressure off knowing that it's okay to make mistakes. It's okay to fail but you got to learn from it. You got to walk away from it, doing it differently the next time. Right. Right. There's some humility there. And there's also this recognition that 
um, everything always has learning. Like there is, if you decide to take a step back and decide to use everything as a learning moment, I think it's the times where people are almost in denial or don't have that humility and wanting to push through. It's especially with what you're talking about, where it can be life and death, being able to take that time can make different decisions in the future so that it does save someone's life. But I mean, it's the same thing in corporate and so many different things. I don't think there, there are times where it's almost like, we just want to move past this and almost deny it instead of let's yeah. take it. Like, let's look and see like what, like what were some of the causes here so that we can really learn from that and apply it going forward. You know, maybe we need more resources. Maybe we didn't have the right people on the team, maybe all of these different things. Um, but there's a looking at yourself in the mirror and looking at the team in the mirror and taking some accountability that I think sometimes if there is humility and it can be difficult and it sometimes leads to uncomfortable conversations that I think sometimes prevents people from having them. And I think it, it all goes back to trust, right? Creating an environment that psychologically safe space where people feel safe to provide feedback, to share lessons learned without the blame or shame. And, you know, I think sometimes we just want to brush past it and maybe if we don't talk about it, it'll go away. Yeah. The other thing I see is we're, we're easy to blame people. You know, right. we're easy to point, you know, point a finger at somebody did something versus really drilling down to the root cause, but that takes humility, right? It takes yeah. that environment of trust where people are willing to be open and share, even if it exposes your own mistakes or weaknesses to say, I did that wrong and to take ownership of that. But when you do that, when you, when you, when you can drill down to the root cause of something, and you're less likely to repeat the mistake. You know, you're you're more likely to move forward and and do something better the next time. But it's hard. I mean, it is it's hard to create that environment. It's hard to ensure that there is that safe space. Uh, we talk about it in terms of in the military environment. We talk about having a wingman culture, right? We're looking for it's it's being part of something bigger and more important than just yourself, where you're going to support each other and encourage each other. And you're also going to hold each other accountable because that's what makes the team better. That's what elevates performance. Right. And I think that's so important. I was going to talk to you about that when it comes to those team dynamics is it's not just about I or me. It's about we and how we're contributing to something much bigger than ourselves. And when we all work together towards that common goal, it is always going to be more effective than anybody trying to be doing this stuff solo. Yes. I, I mean, I think back to that moment over Baghdad and I think back to my wingman and how important he was. I mean, I did not make it home safely by myself. I mm -hmm. had a wingman who could help me see the bigger picture, who held me accountable, who was making sure that I was doing the right things. But his, his goal, right, his reason for doing it was to keep me safe, was to help me. And I think sometimes we lose sight of that. We feel like we're being blamed or shamed about something. But if you have the right mindset of like, I'm doing this to help you. I'm doing this to elevate performance for our team. Um, you know, he was, he was critical. I mean, he, yeah. he had situational awareness that I didn't because I was so focused on just controlling the airplane. I could not see anything else going mm -hmm. on around me. I mean, I was right inside the cockpit in, you know, just trying to survive. And, you know, he's telling me things like move your airplane to the West. And, you know, there's part of my brain that's thinking, I can't even fly my airplane and you want it to go West, but he's trying to get me to where the friendlies are on the West side of the river. So that if I have to eject in that moment, I have some chance of survival. Like that was just not a brain bite that I had to even think mm. of something like that. 
you know, the enemy was still shooting at us. So he's telling me to put out chaff and flare from our countermeasure system. So I don't get hit again. Right. He's, he's aware of the threats and the risks that I am not, um, you know, it, he just, he has the bigger picture. He has that in mind. And I think that's the part about having a wingman, right. Not just in flying, but in our personal life and our professional life, somebody that helps us see the bigger picture, somebody that steps in when like the adrenaline is pumping, we're feeling overwhelmed that, that there is somebody that is going to step in and they're doing it to help. They're doing it for the right reasons. That's what a good wingman is. Yes, absolutely. I think it's so critical. Um, I, I said to you before we started recording that I was going to want to go in so many different directions that I could talk forever. Um, but when we start to talk about, cause I think, you know, the, the title of the book flying in the face of fear and, uh, a fighter pilot's lessons to leading with courage, you know, if you, for people listening and you are going to offer them some words of wisdom when it comes to courage, what, what would you share with them? So, you know, I've, Clearly had some time to think about this over the past 20 years, because I think when I think about this moment over Baghdad, I was so, I mean, I was terrified in that moment. I did not want to admit it. I ne- I didn't even admit it to myself, right? I just was like, no, I didn't have time to be scared. Yeah. And then I went back and listened to the audio and I can just hear the fear in my voice. And I, I mean, I knew I was scared, but I didn't want to admit it. I didn't want to admit it to anybody else. And over time, what I've realized, like, first off, fear, anxiety, and stress are all normal feelings. And it's all about what we do in that moment that matters, right? You you can't actually have courage without fear. So it's all about what you do in that moment. And I've taken that throughout my life because I realized that I have felt fear many times, you know, <laughs> walking up the Air Force Academy on the first day, walking into a fighter squadron as the only woman being a mom at home while my husband deployed, being a commander and leader of teams, all of those situations, there were these moments of fear or worry or nervousness about, could I do it right? Would I meet expectations? Those are all, that's all normal. It's just that in that moment, you still have to be able to do something despite the fear. You have to act in the face of fear. And that's what matters the most. Like it's, it is okay to be afraid. It is okay to be scared, but you have to put yourself in a position to now take action. And I think that's the thing that I realized over time is that it is just all about taking and that taking action in that moment is what truly matters because we all feel fear, right? It's fear of change, fear of the unknown, fear of not meeting expectations. Those are all normal things. Yeah. But sometimes that fear paralyzes us and we don't take action right? We fail to have tough conversations. We don't make decisions. We resist change. There's all these negative things. It's all about stepping up to act with courage, to lead with courage in those moments. Yeah. I think that's wonderful advice. And, and it's, it's interesting too, because sometimes that action, it might only be a small little step, a small little action in that moment, but just keeping that momentum going. And, you know, depending on the situation, it's reminding me is what you're saying, what you're, you're talking about there, Kim, too, is that like we want to be hitting our edges, even though it might feel super uncomfortable. It's what makes us feel alive. And if we're just kind of staying in this steady comfort zone, while we might think, oh yeah, it's comfortable security. We know that feeling that we get when it's like, yeah, I'm not really feeling like I'm stretching and I'm hitting my potential. And so it's those times where, and I think it's great advice because people are going to maybe hear and feel like, well, fighter pilot doesn't feel any fear. No, 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 no. It's just what you do with it and what the narrative is when that's showing up to support yourself through, to work through it. 
Yeah. And, you know, I look back and I think of all those situations where I was so worried about letting people know that I was a little nervous or scared about something. And I'm like, oh, there is no way they, everybody has some sense of fear. It's actually healthy. Like it helps you take action. It helps you prepare, right? If you're a little bit nervous about getting on stage to speak, well, guess what you'll do? You'll likely practice, you know, it's the same thing in an airplane, right? It's, you know, when you're worried about having that tough conversation with a teammate or coworker, well, then Maybe you'll make sure you have all the details. You've done the research. You might even practice by having a, a conversation, you know, with with somebody you can trust. Yeah. Um, you might take some time to visualize and think through the conversation. So I think some, that fear, that nervousness, actually keeps us on our game. I mm-hmm. mean, it's it what it's what helps us to take action um, and do all the work mm-hmm. so that we can take action. In Mm-hmm, exactly. To set yourself up for success for that, those yes. conversations. Kim, where can people learn more about you? Uh, well, I, first off, I would love for people to reach out and connect. I'm always happy to answer questions, um, but they can find me on LinkedIn, Kim Casey Campbell. So uh, there are a lot of Kim Campbells out there. So <laughs> Kim Casey Campbell, uh, they can also find my, uh, find me on my website, Kim-Casey-Campbell.com. Uh, and then also on Twitter and Instagram at KCHAWG987. So that's KC Hog987. Warthog is the nickname of the airplane <laughs> that I fly, and 987 happens to be the tail number that I flew over Baghdad that day. So definitely uh-huh. has some personal significance for me. Uh, but I'm happy for people to reach out and connect. Amazing. And let everyone know, because they're probably have been waiting the whole time. What does KC stand for? I've been making them wait. So you tell them what does KC stand for? I know. Well, everybody just assumes it's my initials because yes. Kim Campbell, KC, yeah. uh, but every fighter pilot gets a call sign and yes. uh, we're not actually in the room when they name us. It's a, it's a, it's a, I wouldn't say a formal ceremony, but it's a ceremony. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so I walk back into the room on my, on my, on the night where I got my call sign, which is where you are officially combat mission ready, where you can deploy to combat. You've done all your qualifications. You've done all your training. So it's a big moment. And uh, I walked back into the room and they said, your call sign is now killer chick. So KC stands for killer chick. Uh, it's just killer chicks too long. So we just, uh, we narrow it down to, to Casey. Yeah. That's that's where it it comes from. It feels like such a a sign of endearment and respect for who you are when they said that with that. It's like killer chick. She she means business, this lady. (laughs) Yes. That was, I I felt like I was walking into a room full of my brothers who were looking out for me and taking care of me, but they also, it was a respect for what I had done and what I was going to do. So it was a, it was a great moment. Yeah. Amazing. Um, Kim, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you so much for having me. It was a great conversation. And for anybody who's wanting to learn more, I will have all of the information on Kim in the show notes. And for people who are looking to uh, work with me as well, uh, more information on my website, love doing work around leadership training and the areas of emotional intelligence, coaching and keynote speaking as well. And for wherever you are in the world right now saying good morning, good afternoon, good evening, sending tons of love. Bye-bye. Please remember that meaningful change requires space and grace. Practice self-compassion and become the ripple. As you transform yourself, you transform your workplace and the people around you.